Well, uh, I'm uh, disappointed that I continue to interrupt the Kingdom of God series, uh, which hopefully we can get back on track with. But, um, you know, we've had Wright State spring break. Uh, the Hales are in Tennessee today. We've had different people traveling here and there. So we've had enough people miss uh, different portions of this that I really want to appeal to us all to get behind this. If you've been attending Grace Christian Fellowship for more than 30 minutes, uh, you, uh, we want you to get behind this. If it's your first time here, you can think about it till the second service, then, then sign up. Uh, no, and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, it's really easy in our culture to have only been going to a church uh, six weeks to six years and therefore feel like, well, I'm not really part of the core group or whatever. I, this is optional for me. But we're, you really can't accomplish anything that way. And so I'm really uh, appealing to us that uh, we're, we're in a place in the church calendar. We kicked it off with our Ash Wednesday service uh, this past Wednesday. Uh, I basically said, whoever doesn't have to get up and go to work tomorrow morning or whatever, please stay to have... Uh, we had an amazing prayer meeting Wednesday night with just six of us, but still, it was very filled with the Spirit, very anointed, very effective. And then uh, we decided, since there was no Friday night worship, to have a prayer meeting Friday night, and there was eight of us there, and that was pretty much even more amazing. It was really filled with the Spirit and, and uh, uh, just lots of great prayers. We discovered that Sam can actually pray longer than my wife or me, which takes some really skill and anointing. He, uh, Sam, Sam was on a roll for about 30 minutes. Uh, we should have recorded it. It was quite good. So uh, <laughs> um, turn with me to Philippians. Uh, if you're not that familiar with the New Testament, uh, uh, I always remember the, that the set of those set of four books as Gepco, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Co, Colossians. Gepco, like that's my little uh, way I remember the order of those. In Philippians one, I is kind of a, a theme verse for this coming uh, season, which again Ash Wednesday is followed by what's called Lent. And Lent uh, leads into Passion Week, or um, Holy Week, it's often called. And, uh, of course, in Passion Week, or Holy Week, is led off by Palm Sunday, uh, which celebrates uh, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which was the fulfillment of prophecies. If you uh, break out the, the uh, several hundred, and really if you buy into a more biblical way of understanding literariness and, and, and uh, uh, we, that God was writing a story in the, in the accurate historical narratives, Christ fulfilled over 3,000 foreshadowings and prophecies of himself, about half of which he had no control over. Riding into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt was one of the few, uh, or one of the half or so that he had some control over, but nevertheless, uh, he rode in, uh, in, in, compare that sometime when you get a chance to you know, Google uh, Roman military triumph and the kind of procession that they would have 
uh, in Rome when, like, say, Titus conquered Jerusalem in 67 to 70 AD, the parade they had for him, and, and compare that to Colossians where it says that he made an open display of, of the, all the satanic enemies and triumphing over them. Uh, so uh, Passion Week starts off with that, and, uh, and by, by Friday, five days later, the same crowd that was yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, meaning God save us or the Lord saves. Uh, that same crowd was yelling, crucify him. And uh, it's, it's been taken as kind of a devotional thought by Christians ever since that we are all somewhat like that. If we had been in Jerusalem in those days, we probably would have been in both crowds. And uh, as, as many, many people were. And uh, so Lent is a kind of a time to repent, to turn back to God, to examine our hearts. And it's normally been accompanied with fasting. The reason it's 46 days is the early church did not fast on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day was a day of triumph and, and resurrection and, uh, and a celebration. And so, and so the, the Lord's Day is for a festive meal, not for fasting. Because when the Lord rose, the bridegroom was with us for a season. But so uh, Ash Wednesday is 46 days before Easter. And if you count the way Hebrews count so that any part of a day is a day, then it's actually 47 days counting Easter Sunday. But um, we're, we are also, uh, as a church, kind of looking at the whole concept of after the Pentecost, after uh, the Passover, fifty days later, is what's called Pentecost, uh, the Feast of Booths, and it was uh, the celebration of uh, what do they call it in Hebrew? It's in our notes somewhere here. We'll probably cover it today, but uh, it's it's the celebration of God giving the law on Mount Sinai, and the whole point of the new covenant and what happens. In, is in, in being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You, you have two encounters with the Holy Spirit the way Jesus did. Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit, and we are reborn by the Holy Spirit. And then he was anointed by the Holy Spirit uh, for his ministry in, in the baptism of John. And then he went to a whole new realm of the Holy Spirit and the temptation. That, and if you didn't hear John's uh, message from a couple Sundays ago about Matthew 4 and Luke 4, the temptation in the wilderness, you should definitely uh, get a copy of that and listen to it. I would say it'd probably take around three times to, to understand it. It's, it's that good. And um, so, um, and it's on the website, by the way. So uh, podcasts nowadays uh, are, are up to date and, and running, and I uh, hope you'll use them. Uh, but anyway, with Pentecost, God in, fulfills all the prophecies of the Old Testament that he would have a, a new people for himself, that all would know them from the least to, great, to the greatest, that they would no one would have to say, know the Lord, because they all would know him, and that he would pour out his spirit on all mankind, Joel 2, 2 which Peter in, in Acts 2 says this is the fulfillment of Joel 2, that he would write his law upon our hearts and our mind. So Pentecost is actually the uh, we call Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy because it's the second giving of the law. God always works in threes. He's a trinity. And, and Pentecost is the third giving of the law. It's the giving of the law into your heart, 
in your spirit, in your soul, in such a way that beyond when you're regenerated and you begin to have the desire to, to, to follow the law and to please God and know him, now you're empowered to live it. And the key to living uh, the resurrected life of Jesus Christ is to live out of the power of the Holy Spirit. Out of your own efforts, you will fail even when you've been a Christian 75 years. Out of the power of the Spirit, you can live a life before Abba Father, loving him, being loved by him, and doing what, as Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. So Philippians 1, 27, here's what we're uh, trying to do here. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Oh, God, help us. Help us. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, well, frankly, let's reinterpret whether you're alone in your room or, you, uh, or you're in, in public and in the community, we may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. If, if, if a body of people could do that, that would be a, a miracle. If you notice in Acts 2, when it says they were all, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one accord. That's not a car uh, made by Japanese people. It actually means, uh, it's an old-fashioned word for in, they were in unity. Uh, and, and they had been praying together for 10 days. They had a 10-day prayer meeting. <laughs> Uh, seeking the, uh, waiting for what Jesus had said, wait in Jerusalem until I send you the promise of the Father. So they were standing firm in one spirit with one mind, uh, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, chapter two, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, is there any fellowship, koinonia, shared, common sharing of our lives in the spirit? If any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by everyone doing the same, their own thing. Oh, wait, sorry, I got a mod. I keep getting these modern translations. But uh, you know, that's a little attempted humor, kind of a poor attempted humor. Uh, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. I don't know what all that means, but that's certainly beyond what, what any of us have ever experienced. God, we're going to have to, we're going to have to start by my, you know, what I always say is Hebrews 4 says, draw near to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. How you start every admonition from the Lord is to say, I can't even want to do this unless you change, recreate me. I, I, I certainly can't be empowered to do it unless you recreate me. I can't without your resurrected presence, without the power of your Holy Spirit, I can't even see from a distance what that looks like. Come and make me a new creation. Come and empower me to live this. You know, the, the secret to going really far in the Christian life is to just always constantly be admitting to God that, uh, that you haven't gone very far. <laughs> and uh, the more you look at yourself as a novice baby Christian who doesn't know a darn thing, the more God will empower you and, and, and reveal to you and so forth. Humble, you know, this is a time for humbling ourselves. It's, you know, if you still 
have a critical spirit toward toward your brothers and sisters, and you, and you still have that know-it-all thing, I would submit to you that that's actually an arrogant spirit that's covering up for deep-seated self-hatred and insecurities, and ask God to help you encounter His grace and how much He loves you and how much He loves you unconditionally, that He chose you. And when you begin to see grace... Uh, against the depth of our own sin, Romans 5.20, whatever sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Whenever you experience that, you'll be very gracious with other people around you. So make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Oh, man, if we could live there. But with humility of mind, let us each regard one another as more important than himself, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's what we're praying for. You know, put that in your notes somewhere. Now, what I want to kind of do this morning is, is appeal to us the reason. Does everyone have one of these? David, you got one of these? Okay. So... There's five pages that are basically the notes that we've taught over the last few weeks in some of the scripture readings. Uh, note that I didn't put go back and put Matthew 4 and Luke 4, which you should put in because John taught on those as part of this sort of series, you might say. And um, I want you to use this as a devotional. Remember, we uh, asked everyone to use Joe Thorne's book called Note to Self, and I noticed that maybe over half of the church did this. I would like this to be the actual first thing in the history of Grace Christian Fellowship that we actually all do together. That's why I reread those verses, that, that everybody would get on board with this. And that you had, I, I, the reason I took time to, you know, obviously I, we, you, you already got all five of these and messages and so forth, but I, I made it extra easy by putting it in a folder. And thank you to Catherine, Sam, and Beth for helping me make these folders. Uh, big project. But... Uh, in any case, use these five pages as a devotional for the next three months till Pentecost Sunday, June 8th. I'm going to add a few more scripture verses and a couple more pages for you right after Easter on stuff that's more Holy Spirit oriented and toward Pentecost. But for now, this will really help us in a season of seeking the Lord to humble ourselves to be filled in a whole new dimension with his manifest presence so that, uh, since we have Ray Nethery here, so as Ray loves to say, we can mediate the presence of God to the world around us. We have three ministries in Grace Christian Fellowship, our ministry to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our worship, our sitting at his feet, reading his word, our uh, adoration of him, our prayer, our, our loving God and ministering to God. What... What we often do is uh, we're going to talk about seeking, make sure I talk about seeking God's face versus his heart versus his hand today. Hopefully I'll get that far because uh, I haven't touched on that, even though it's been in the notes. But when, uh, when a ch oh, let's just talk about that for a minute right now. When a child is young, uh, they're becoming aware of the world. As uh, they've gone through nine months of bonding with their mother, with the voice and the spirit of their father in an ideal situation, 
uh, which so few kids experience nowadays, but where their father, like I read scripture to my children in the womb and uh, we actually had a couple experiences where the baby was kicking really hard on Catherine and going nuts. And I put my hand on her womb and said, stop that. And the baby stopped because the baby knew the voice of their father already. Uh, that really happened. And so, um, you know, uh, we there, there's many of the times the our children would experience after they were born three or four or five days. They would uh, be in their first worship meeting and they would be giggling and laughing during the worship because they knew the presence of God already from their mother's womb. And so, uh, likewise, uh, you know, most kids don't get that today. So we are called to bring that to a dark world around us. And so we, we need to understand that loving God, being filled with His Spirit, knowing His Word, uh, all of that is an end in itself. When you grow up, you end up knowing your father's heart. When a baby knows their father's face, babies go through, here's what kids go through. They go through a time where uh, they love to play with their father and mother's face, right? And if they're bonded to other good, good folks in the church, spiritual and spiritual uncles, whatever they might like to pull your beard and you're, Oh man, if that, that's a beard that a kid could get on into, <laughs> uh, you know, they tweak your nose. They see how far they can f- put their finger up your nose. They put their hand halfway down your throat. And they, they, because they're seeking your face. They know your countenance. They know the spirit about you and and how deep you are with the Lord is actually starting to shape their destiny from the moment they're conceived. The most important thing you can do is grow in the Lord, have a great marriage, be full of the spirit, because that is actually the face of, of the father is actually being experienced through a husband and wife being united as one and representing God to them, right? Now, the kid grows up, and if everything's in order in a family, the kid starts experiencing this, I want to be like my dad when I grow up thing. I'm going to embarrass John for the 20, 100th time. You know, in first grade, they, they had a, a thing like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, he, and then they sent him home, and he had written, I want to lease. I want to do leasing. And, and I'm like, he has no idea what leasing is, but I worked for a leasing co- equipment leasing company. And what he was actually saying is, I want to be like my dad when I grow up. He didn't know what his dad actually did, but he knew whatever it was, that's what he wanted to do, right? So as we grow in the Lord, the reason I put in our notes here several places, seek God's face. Seek his heart and seek his hand. Somewhere around your middle teenage years to your mid-30s, if everything is working right, if you have a godly dad and, and he loves God and all the things that you should have, but not, you know, but you you know get in the church in most cases. It's what, I mean, it's a very rarity to have your spiritual dad and your natural dad be the same person, but if uh, and it should happen more often. And, and, but it doesn't happen. So God adopts you into his family, and he gives you spiritual fatherhood through the elders of the church and the past shepherds and different people. But at, 
sometime between when you're around, I don't know, 12 to 15, and maybe journeying all the way to your 35, you start to know your father's heart. You know his, like Paul said to Timothy, I love that passage in, where he says, Timothy, you have known my purpose, you've known my teaching, my doctrine, my manner of life, and so forth, but he goes all the way on to say, you've known my purpose. Like, in other words, you actually know what motivates me, Timothy. Paul gives us lots of clues through his epistles about what motivates him in, in Christ. And he's saying, Timothy, this has, it's a, there's different Greek words for knowing. He's saying, Timothy, this has become your motivation too. So when, uh, so what we're wanting, what we're calling out to is God, we want to know your heart. Remember in Genesis 18 when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And he says, uh, what can I do? I'm not going to do anything without telling my friend Abraham. Now there's all kinds of songs like, Jesus, you're my friend, which I hate those songs. Uh, presumptuous as heck. You know what? You, what we got to get to is a place where God calls us friends. That's what we're seeking. He says to the disciples at the Passover supper, no longer do I call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's doing. Servant is just fulfilling task. But a friend understands when you look this way, why you're looking this way and what you want to accomplish over here without having to be told. We want to become, when I say we want to seek God's heart, I'm saying God, take us to a place, not that we consider you a friend, but that you consider us a friend. That we're all about your mission. That we could actually, if someone said, well, where were you, son? What were you doing? We can say, I'm sorry. You know, didn't you know that I had to be about my father's concerns and the, the things of my father, my father's business? I was doing business on behalf of my father. Of course, what else would I be doing? All right, so then seeking his, God's hand is really is a dangerous thing if we don't seek his face and his heart first. If you study the outpourings of the Holy Spirit during, during the 20th century, the majority of anointed ministries, I'm talking numbers that are so beyond 50%, it staggers the mind, the majority of really anointed ministries spiritually, morally crashed. The whole reason we're in community and, and accountability and so forth is we don't want any superstars. We want a body of people to rise up and do it with nobody that has a big name in it and everyone broken and humble and servant. If we, if we get the Father's hand without first getting his face and his heart, it will destroy us. Seeking his hand is, you know, you do your work through your hands. You know, if Sidney had to be in his shop at night uh, with his hands tied behind his back, it'd be really hard to do his job, right? Uh, it'd be impossible, of course. So when we seek God's hand, we're saying, God, do there. I, I wish I had time to share testimonies of just the answered prayers that have come in the past few weeks. You know, we've talked about Brandon 
Uh, and then I just had a wonderful talk with Brandon this morning before church. Um, you know, John Gray's job, et cetera, et cetera. There's just been so many things happen. And uh, if we keep having prayer meetings and we keep seeking him, we're going to see more of it. All right, so I got about 20 minutes left to, to take us through these five pages, which we've gone through, So, but I only taught about half of, out of each of the five pages. So the first one should say Fasting 101, Preparing and Getting Motivated. I want to touch on motivated for a minute. I have started about 9 to 10 fast for every fast I actually completed. <laughs> You know, like getting motivated enough to get through the 12-hour mark, then the 15-hour, then the 18, then the 21, then the second day and the third day or whatever you're really shooting for uh, takes God helping you. In fact, I always start with saying, God, I can't even get through the first day unless you save me, help me, give me some motivation. And I'll often read stuff about fasting two or three days before I'm going to fast. Right? So... Uh, in this, there, in these teachings, there are several uh, things that, that are designed to help us get motivated. Look at, we're still on Fasting 101. Look at Roman numeral 2, four key passages on fasting. And it says, proper motives and execution lead to godly breakthrough and rewards. I, it's amazing to me that we don't press through it. We don't press through it because we don't value God enough to really understand what he's talking about. The first reward is himself. You know, when, when it says that he, he, he's coming soon and his reward is with him, it's because he is the reward. He doesn't go anywhere without the power of his spirit filling uh, himself. You know, Christ comes filled with his spirit. So that's the first reward. But then there's, look at... Uh, Matthew 6 is the first, point A is a verse. Point B, we, I, I preached on that, so I'm not going to spend much time. But, you know, if I could tell you anything that would really help you, um, most of us are riddled with insecurities because you can only be really uh, teachable and humble and non-argumentative and non-critical of others and so forth if you're really secure in Abba Father by the power of his Spirit. As that grows in your life, you'll be so much more humble and so much more gracious, but only God can even help you. It's interesting. The Bible tells you over and over to humble yourself, and the only thing I can tell you that I've learned uh, the hard way is start by saying, Lord, I can't even want to humble myself. I don't even know what humility exactly is. I don't see how much pride I have. Please, that's the whole reason you need the body of Christ, because uh, probably at least... At least half of the, of the pride God set me free from over the years has come from uh, guys like Larry and my wife and my son John and Ray Nethery confronting me. <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Really? That's what I look like? Oh, help me, Jesus. Of course, the, you, you look in the mirror of God's word, James 1, and you, go, you look in there. Every morning I go, oh, my God, this is pathetic. <laughs> That's just in the natural. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so that humble, we, we, we need humility. I don't know how to take us there except to cry out to God for humility. Uh, 
Then the, the Yom Kippur fast, the Day of Atonement fast, is uh, point C there. Uh, seven actions and motivations. Now, some of them, remember the concept of reading the reverse negative. So some of them he's stating it as you do this improperly. In others, he says, this is what a proper motivation should be. But in each case, they break down to seven, whether it's stated negatively or positively as an improper motivation or the proper motivation we need. There's seven motivations and actions that we need to meet God's conditions for blessing and reward. And if we do that, this is what, this is what encourages me about this. Again, we preach this, so I'm going to move on, is that it's, it's about fasting for one day. If you can actually just get to a regular place like the early church did, like the Wesleyan Methodist did, where you fast one, and, you know, the, the, the early church and the Methodists both fasted Wednesdays and Fridays, at least till dinner time or sometime into the evening from the night before. If you could just get to fast, fast one day a week, it would change your life. That's why we didn't give any uh, teaching. We, we gave a teaching on, in Fasting 102 on types of fast. We really want you to choose before God what he wants you to fast. I'm just asking you to take your efforts up a notch from whatever you've achieved in the past. If you have not fasted regularly, then don't go beyond fasting doing a, 20, you know, a 21 or a 24-hour fast once or twice a week. Maybe in this season, go up it to twice. But don't go do some 40-day fast if you haven't ever even done a three-day fast. <laughs> you know, that's just not recommended. Um, then down at the bottom of the page, we start on the 10 promised rewards. You can study those for yourself. Flip it over and you'll see Book of Joel. The third page is select, of Scripture readings has selections from the book of Joel, but the book of Joel is only three chapters, and it's one of the greatest calls in the Word of God to fasting, and it's specifically in the context of Pentecost. He's saying, you know, if you do these, if you call, consecrate a fast, call the elders, and even Joel tells us to have the kids fast. Now, I recommend if you have kids that are under 10, Maybe have them give up sugar or something for Lent. Don't, you know, don't let a kid fast, like, or whole fast, except maybe skip lunch for a prayer meeting or something. But no, just try something like giving up sugar. That would be radical in our culture. So, you know, if your kid's a little older, maybe give, them, give up sugar and white flour for Lent. That would be kind of radical, too. Of course, some moms probably already do that, but uh, so they might have to do something else. But uh, next, Roman numeral three on the back of the page, eight famous Bible fasts and the results. I, again, I'm asking you to do some part of these five pages every day for the next three and a half months or three months and five days. So there's eight days right there. You could, you could look up, you could spend eight of the days just looking up those eight famous fasts, reading it in the Bible, and meditate on it for a few minutes. So this is a devotional we've created for, for us as a, as a people this, during this season. There's some really cool stuff in those eight fasts. I really love the one where, uh, uh, let's see, uh, this point C, where the inhabitants of Jabed Gilead fasted seven days to remember Saul. Here was a guy who crashed. 
who basically is the archetype of how not to do it. But if you remember, Samuel anointed him with oil, said he'd be king, and said, when you leave here, you're going to run into some prophets, and when you meet them, you're going to be filled with the Spirit of God and changed into another man. And he was anointed with the Spirit of God and changed into another man. And then over the next two or three chapters, he is in really tough situations where he gets supernatural wisdom from the Holy Spirit and does the right thing. We need to think about that. And that all happened before he started to fall apart. But the rest of his life and ministry was falling apart. We need to grieve over that. The men of Jabez Gilead remembered that when no one else was willing to come and save them, Saul rallied all Israel to come and save them. And I gave you the references there. That's in 1 Samuel 11, verses their fast. and first. It, it, it's amazing. We need to fast. You know what? A great deal of Christianity since the Reformation has been one group and another group over and against each other. I Part of the reason I joined the ARC is because one of the opening statements in the Common Concerns is we are called by God to certain distinctives, but we don't want to hold any of these with an attitude of over and against anyone else. And we want to be servants to the whole church, and we don't want to get into any we got it right thing. We just want to be faithful with what God's called us to do. And we really, during this time, pray for the whole church. If you notice, one of the things we try to do is we start the prayer meetings for Rock Campus Fellowship and for, for the, our church with praying for all the churches of the Miami Valley and all the campus ministries at Wright State. Because, yes, the body of Christ is broken and fractured into all kinds of camps right now. I, God will do something about that in his time. But we can at least weep over it. And, and the story of Saul, because uh, that's where it's going to begin. It's going to begin with Christians really humbling themselves and weeping over our divisiveness and our pride and, and so forth. So I love that one. Moving on. Uh, we had an Ash Wednesday service. In point four, um, I have short-term memory problems. Most of you know that. Whatever your, whatever your name is, but uh, no, uh, and uh, so what I did is I basically was in a hurry when I was doing the fasting 101. I was getting late at night, and I had two messages that week, and instead of the usual one, and so I, you know, it was one or two in the morning. I was my flesh was inviting me to go to fellowship with my mattress, and uh, and it was probably right. So in that case, but uh, so I basically did this kind of hurried. So the next week in fasting 102. I did it again without reconsulting this one. In other words, I didn't look at this for the whole week. And then I did, did uh, in Fasting 102, there's some a list of our fasting and prayer goals. So the, meditate on both lists. You'll see there's a lot of overlap and so forth. But, but I did that on purpose without referring to the first one so I could just give us kind of a couple different hacks at it, you might say. Got that? That point about escalate to victory, if you've never read 2 Kings 13, uh, please do the whole, uh, but read more than what I've given you there at the bottom of the page. Read the whole story uh, because almost all of us uh, kick field goals. That, that's our, one of our biggest problems in life. 
there's a reason why it takes three field goals to overcome one touchdown and extra point. Because it's about, it's, it's not no good at all to make some progress and then settle, but that's not God's will for you. God's will for you is, is touchdowns. Now, this is a metaphor, of course. I'm not trying to get you all worldly and do dances and that. I'm, try, I'm trying to say God wants you to press on to know the Lord. Um, on, I don't know if it's on the website because I don't know if we were doing podcasts, but you can sign up for it from Jordan. There's a teaching John did on Philippians 3. Uh, what, what was It was probably called Pressing on to Christ or something. I don't know. But you can put Philippians 3 teaching and Jordan will make you a CD for it if it's not on the website. Hopefully it's on the website. You think it's on the website? Do you remember that one? That was, a year, uh, that was a year or two back. Or just read Philippians 3 and spend a lot of time meditating on it. <laughs> and uh, All right. So that was uh, Fasting 101. Fasting 102. Again, motivation and perspective is really important. I went through types of fast. I'm not going to revisit that, but I just want to be careful to say we're not asking anyone who has never, you know, I've, I've talked to some young men. If you're in your 20s, you, you can do a three-day fast probably, um, but you really shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff until you're fully grown and developed and, and all that. So, but you can fast in a Daniel fast or, or what I call the healthy fast, which is sort of a twist on the idea of a Daniel fast. The Daniel fast is actually not even a really a biblical idea. It's a sort of modern idea. They take Daniel's response of Daniel 1, where he refused to eat the king's meats and so forth that were sacrificed to idols, and then they apply that to the fact that Daniel was known for his fasting, especially in chapter 9. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's a made-up modern thing anyway. So, but do something. And I have seen a number of young men who've done a 40-day Daniel fast. I've seen their, their whole spiritual destiny change. But I have almost every young man that, that I've known, many of whom I've counseled against extreme, being this extreme, who've really set out to do like a 21-day total fast, have really messed themselves up spiritually more than they've helped themselves. Don't uh, shoot too fast. You know, even if, again, I don't want to use too many analogies from football, but there, you, you can't just throw a bomb every time. <laughs> Sometimes you need a sustained drive down the field. That's really what we need more than we need. Uh, that, and an occasional bomb is nice, but uh, make it more occasional, and it'll be more effective. Uh, abstaining from distractions at the bottom Spend some time with the Lord writing a list. What, what really distracts me from growing in Christ? What's holding me back? I gave you a, a list of some things, negatives, positives, etc. Thing, things that we maybe love that aren't very godly. And God can change your affections over time. You know, I, you know we're not a legalistic church. There, we have people who have televisions. We have people who don't have televisions. Uh, but, you know, honestly, most of what's on television will probably not help you find the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Boy, I'm so insightful. <laughs> you know? um, seven fasting goals is the almost the whole backside of page two of Fasting 102. That was what I talked about before, that I revisited that stuff. 
And I think they're really good. We need these things. We, we're at the kind of the most level of breakthrough we've ever had, but we've had a history over and over again of whenever God visits us and we start to uh, see some fruit and so forth, everyone gets sidetracked in every sort of different way. And, and, and all of a sudden it, it comes to very little. And we, we can't, we, we're really at the best place ever to not let that happen again. But we need everybody to humble themselves during this season and get on board. So, and by the way, I really need, um, you know, we have th at least three or four Wright State students missing today, Jason and Carla are in Nashville. So please, please, uh, you know, go over this uh, thing with, you know, first encourage them to listen to it on the podcast or to, to get a CD of it, but, go, you know, but help each other go over this stuff. Bring this to prayer meetings. The, okay. Now, the, the, the third page is scripture readings. Again, I, I can't recommend enough. The book of Joel, I put as big as, as many selections from the book of Joel as I could find. And then on the back of, of, the, of the scripture readings, 4, 2, 23, 14, the very last part is some really good books about fasting. If you've never read a book or two on fasting, don't do more than a three-day fast until you've read some books on fasting. You'll bite off more spiritual warfare than you want. Those are great books on fasting. We also mentioned that you can just Google Bill Bright has some really good stuff on fasting. Uh, Mike Bickle and the IHOP people. Read some other people's. Uh, that's why God gave us the body of Christ. Fourthly, message and assignments for Ash Wednesday. This was from our... Uh, so uh, listen to if that point 1A there. Re-listen to John's message from last week on, it, on Matthew 4, and I highlighted two points that he brought us. One is where the serpent goes, if you're the son of God. Most of our mess-ups are because we don't really realize what, who, that, you know, Jesus said, I chose you, you didn't choose me, and I appointed you to bear fruit. And we tend to think of ourselves from very natural-minded perspectives you need the voice of God saying, Oh, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. And you need God calling you up to a higher standard and believe, and you need to get past, like, who, me? <laughs> you need God to speak it to you and go, Wow, I'm supposed to be part of this people, and we're supposed to be a world conquering force. Even though we started in a little tinderbox in East State. Uh, there's a bunch of scriptures there about seeking God's, and I already talked about seeking his face, heart, and, and hand. That Hopefully you can hang on to that in your life. That's a really good scriptural metaphor. Seek God's face and his heart and his hand in that order. Flip it over. These, uh, there's an assignment there. Read the seven penitential psalms. Um, note at the bottom of there, that if you have a Catholic Bible versus a Protestant Bible, there's, the Psalms are slightly numbered differently. So I listed them both in the Protestant and Catholic version. And the reason for the numbering difference is that in the early church and when they made the Catholic Bible originally, the Latin Vulgate in the fourth century, they used the numbering from the Greek Septuagint, uh, whereas uh, Protestant Bibles use the numbering from the Hebrew Masoretic. 
And it's not, it's not just as simple as you're one psalm off, because sometimes you're, they're, they match, and then you go a psalm off for a while, then you then match again, and then you're psalm off for a while. If you want to read about it on the Internet, you can. But uh, the reason being is that sometimes the groups want, you know, two of them together. Okay? So I'm giving you, you see, so what I'm trying to do here is give you all kind of devotional tools. You can't obviously do all five of these pages every day, but hop around, uh, you know, ask God for guidance, do them. Again, I've listed the books. Again, I've said, go back to uh, Fasting 101 outline and read Isaiah 58 and think about the seven attitudes. Now, finally, it should be readings and assignments for Ash Wednesday. Um, I thought this little reflection from this guy named Stuart, Stuart Malloy, it's, I don't know who he is. I like the uh, website called Christian Resource Institute. And uh, I put Romans 12 as a response to his little meditation there. Read that meditation some. It's kind of interesting because I've actually uh, did enough hopping around to confirm that, that, you know, Ash Wednesday started with just putting the ashes on people who had been found out to be public sinners. <laughs> and uh, what happened is, the uh, this is great, it wasn't the bishops and the leaders of the church that saw through the hypocrisy and the craziness of that. It was the average person in the pews who basically began to say, wait a minute, I'm a sinner. I want the ashes on me. And event, eventually that became a big enough movement that the church said, wait a minute, yeah, we should put the ashes on everybody. <laughs> you know, not just somebody who's been publicly found guilty or something. And, and that's the whole point of why I put Romans 12 there. We're all in this together. Your sin, you know, my sin of gluttony, I wear the credentials with me at all times. And it's, and it's a little more publicly known. But you might have ones that aren't so noticeable, but we all have them. Right? So that's really, that's really uh, all I have for today. Please take these with you. I hope I don't find 10 of these in the pews after we're, when we're cleaning up today. And uh, uh, please, if there's, there's some extra copies, if you have a lifestyle where it would really help you to have one in your car and one in your study or something like that, uh, don't just randomly take a second one, but if, think through your lifestyle. If it would help you to have two copies, like one at work and one at home, then take a second copy. Uh, let's let's uh, do this together.